we go. In the, in the book of Acts, written by this guy named Luke, he also wrote the book of Luke in your Bible. So if you read your Bible, it'd be like Matthew, Mark, Luke. He wrote that, then there's a book of John, then there's a book of Acts. What's the difference in those two encounters? Well, in Luke, he interviews all these eyewitnesses, all these people, and tells what happened in the life of Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, he tells what happened after the life of Jesus, what continued to happen through the church and through the Holy Spirit. And so we bring this map up from time to time just so you can orient yourself in history. Uh, there's 30, this is 30 years. So this book of Acts covers the 30 years after the life of Jesus. The gospel we're going to watch travel over 10,000 miles to various places in Rome. We say that matters because it didn't just stop there. Eventually it made it from there to our lives today. This book is a part of your story. If you're a Jesus follower, this is is your origin story. And so there's a lot there for all of us. We've also covered or covered and discovered that the Holy Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts. Now, don't worry about Holy Spirit. If I start talking Holy Spirit and you're like, what does that mean? I went to a church, they said they were all about the Spirit and some things happened that really made me feel uncomfortable. I'm not really sure when, how we're talking about that. Well, fear not, we are learning chapter by chapter and verse by verse, that when we come to discover what the Holy Spirit is and who the Holy Spirit is, we realize it is just the empowering presence of God in our life. It is the empowering presence of God in our life. And so when you become a Jesus follower and you get baptized, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The presence of God comes to dwell in your heart and does all kinds of stuff that you could never do on your own. And that's where this chart came from. This is kind of a watershed moment in our study last week. Uh, I didn't draw this, but I am really good with Canva. And so thank you to them for the free account that got us this beautiful chart. But we talked about the differences. We said the cross changes where I'm going. I am saved by grace through faith, Jesus dying on a cross for my sins. But the Holy Spirit changes who I'm becoming. Uh, I want to transform. I want to grow to become like Christ. And as I walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, I'm transformed from the inside out. I'm not talking about you bite your cheek and make yourself do the right thing over and over and over again. I'm talking about it begins to miraculously shape you from the inside out. The cross changes my destination, but the Holy Spirit changes my destiny. I'm led by the Holy... As a Jesus follower, I'm led by the empowering presence of God. There's people that I'm called to meet, people that I'm called to help, places that I'm called to go, experiences that the Holy Spirit wants to walk me into to grow me and shape me. Maybe you've heard somebody or maybe you've had a moment in your life and it just felt like all hell had broken loose and it was dark and it was sad and it was a really tough time. But then you realize like maybe it was one, two, five years later that all the things that happened there were preparing you for here. And not only that, but you've also been able to help people that you would have never been able to help before. That, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the Spirit shaping your destiny. The cross helps me become a Christian. Uh, the Holy Spirit empowers me to be a Christian. The cross forgives sin. The Holy Spirit gives me power over my sin, not to where I just, again, put my foot on it, my hangups, my issues, my problems, and I kind of manage them myself. No, the Holy Spirit begins to shape my heart where I don't even desire the things that I once desired as I'm transformed by Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit gets me out of hell, or the cross gets me out of hell and into heaven. The Holy Spirit gets heaven into me. Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And as I walk with the Holy Spirit, He transforms me. And then by His power, as I'm led, as I love, as I share, as I'm generous, I transform the world around me. And that's God's plan of redemption. I can tell you guys need about two more minutes to wake up. So I'll give you a little story (laughs) from my life, okay? I have a whole routine that gets me ready for Sundays. It starts on Saturdays around 2 o'clock, and I I round up, you know, sometimes I'm known for goofy sermon illustrations, and I bring props up here, and so some Sundays I'm like, all right, I need a fishbowl, three M&Ms, and a fishing pole, and then, you know, Adam and Cassie laugh at me, because usually Cassie helps me get acquire things, and I'm like, I need a tricycle, three jugglers, and a man with a big stick, and they're like, we got you, and then you bring stuff in, so that happens around 2 o'clock on Saturday, I kind of get everything together and then at three o'clock on Saturdays I don't know like what the hardest thing you do in a week is hardest thing I do is I go to a room by myself I go through the message out loud four times and it is like bite my, ugh, it's the worst it but but it helps because then I know where we're going what we're doing I can talk to you guys like this and then I uh, I go to bed early you're not gonna get me hanging out late on a Saturday I'm like nine o'clock in bed uh, I was there the phone was by the side of the bed last night I'm snoozing and watching the Padres uh, run one of the best comebacks that's ever happened and then I wake up uh, and, and I go to first thing I do when I wake up is I go get my seven-year-old daughter Penelope we wake up by 6 45 we head here and then she she comes and she helps she actually did the stage skirt this week it was cool she's seven years old and she did that and so I'm impressed I don't know like we'll get her picture with it later uh, and so then I take her back home and then I shower off and then I come back here and then I love this. I love people. Some of you are introverts and you're like, no, I, I, I survive church on a Sunday. Me, I'm like a Labrador. I have the spirit of a Labrador retriever. And so seeing you guys, I'm not kidding. Seeing you guys is just so fun for me and hanging and talking. Oh my God, how's your week? How's this? How's that? And then preaching. And then uh, Britt's been kind enough. We have this uh, routine now. She lets me just go chill after this. And so I hide and I go to a restaurant by myself usually, and you know, it's, there's usually tacos involved, and I thank God for what he did, and then I go back home, and, and then Britt and I, the last thing we do is kind of a debrief. And, hey, who'd you talk with? Who'd you pray for? Who'd you encourage? She usually is like, man, honey, that message, you are the most enlightening, powerful, physically attractive man to ever preach the Bible that I've ever met. And I say, thank you, I know. And, and, and then we break down the message, but no, we don't do that part, but we really do talk. Hey, how was the message? What'd you feel? What'd you think? And, and honestly, we're going to do something today based on that conversation because we have that big, powerful chart right there. And we're like, the Holy Spirit, who doesn't want that, right? Like, I'm going to be shaped from the inside out. I've got a destiny that God made for me with my name on it. I have power over my sins and problems and hangups and failures. He is getting heaven into me. Who doesn't want that? I was like, yes. She's like, yeah, but Matt, how do we get that? I was like, yeah, we need to do another week on this. She said, I think like what we're missing is tools. What we're missing is handles. Could you do something where we talk about how to actually see God move in our lives? And I was like, yeah. And so we're actually going to go back to the same exact scripture that gave us this beautiful description of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to ask the question today, how do we get God moving in us? I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your faith where you've read something in the Bible and you're like, if God was doing that here, like... I could do that. If God was moving like that, now I could be that. If I could see Him, if I could feel Him, if I could sense Him, if God was doing more stuff, 
I would be a part of it. How do I get the stuff I see there to ha- happen in my life here? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you're following along in a U version or in a, a Bible or whatever, if you're a note taker, grab your journal. Uh, if you want to start taking notes, we have free journals like right there out at the info center every single week. Um, if you want one, you can grab it. We just ask that it's for Bible notes and not grocery lists, uh, but it's a, I highly recommend it. So anyways, we're going to go back into that text. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10, we're going to go, how did God move like that? How do we do that today? Let's review. It says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. We talked about how that was the most wealthy area in the temple at that time. This man very wisely sits down there. That's where he asked people for money as they're coming and going from the temple. It says, uh, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as to John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, we helped him up and the man's ankle or feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, jumping and praising God. We stopped and we talked about all the different angles that you could have seen this moment from specifically that man who had been there for 40 years, sitting on that little stone footer going, man, when is my life ever going to change? He's basically waiting to die. And then all of a sudden finds himself on the receiving end of a miracle that restores his ability to walk. We don't even have a category for that kind of emotion. It says when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him and we had this story of God moving I'm going to work. I don't want to make assumptions about you, but I'm going to make the assumption today that you want to see God move in your life too. What can we learn from this text to see God move in our lives in powerful ways like this? Here's something you want to observe. Number one is this. Peter and John were doing the right things at the right time. They were doing the right things at the right time. They had not given up on the fundamentals. It's really interesting to note they were going to the temple at three. Uh, Usually people show up at the temple at two for sacrifices and then at three for prayer. Peter and John realized that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the only sacrifice necessary from now on. So they go at three just for good old-fashioned prayer and Bible study. Jesus' follower, do not forsake the fundamentals. They were going to pray. When we were in chapter 2, what were the believers doing when the Holy Spirit showed up for the first time? They were praying. Peter and John don't give up on the fundamentals. The simple things like reading your Bible, serving, praying, hospitality, generosity, obeying God, and loving others puts you in the space where the active presence and power of God break loose in your life. I made a sports career on this in high school. Right time, right place. I am extraordinarily average the precision at which 
I am average is shocking. In high school, I wasn't the tallest kid. I wasn't the smallest kid. If you lined us all up, I am right in the middle. Uh, I wasn't the fastest kid or the slowest kid. If we all ran 40s, I wasn't low 4s. I wasn't high 5s. I was somewhere in between the two. If, if we added up all the playing time that everybody got in Bloomington High School, I didn't get the least amount. I didn't ride the bench the whole time, but I certainly didn't have any articles written about me in the local paper. I was so average, but I wasn't dumb. I learned by simply being in the right place at the right time, showing up and doing what I'm supposed to do, I got more playing time than the average kid. Here was my best move, right place, right time. I would just follow football. I would follow the coach around on the sideline. Why? Why do you just stay right? He's got his clipboard. He's got his headset. He's going on. And he's just, I'm, he's moving on, moving. He's moving on. They probably thought I was an assistant coach wearing some shoulder pads. But I just kept the helmet handy. I kept right by him because eventually somebody out there screws up. And then he would go, oh, come on. You could just hear it in his voice. Like, What's he doing? What's he doing? That was my cue. Get him out of there. Almond, get caught that in. I go, okay. They go out and you're out. I became synonymous with when you screwed up on the football field. You see me running in, you see something happen, and it wasn't supposed to happen. That was my move, you guys. Right place, right time. And we laugh, but I'm telling you, you want to see God move, you want power, you want transformation. It's making yourself available to God in those ways. Did, did you ever hear Jesus say this? I am the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like, I, I'm the truth. That means you can look at me and see what truth is. And I'm life. Like, if you live in me and through me, you're going to experience what life really is. But do you know what Jesus meant when he said, I'm the way? He's saying, like, I am the way to live. I've modeled for you what it looks like to be truly human. I've modeled for you what it looks like to walk in faith. I am the way. And so when I read my Bible, when I pray, when I live like Jesus, when I'm hospitable, when I'm generous, when I do things with my life that I saw Jesus do with his life, I am walking in the way. And that way is where blessing happens. It's where God moves. Here's the deal. If, if I say, you know what, uh, I don't really want to do that. I, okay, I kind of like this one over here about the Lord's my shepherd. And you're going to stick with me. But I don't really want to do like all the Jesus stuff. I don't want to really forgive them. I don't really want to love your enemies. Who actually loves their enemies? I don't want to do that stuff. Can I tell you something? He cannot bless you if, if this stage piece over here is the way, the way of Jesus, the way of life, the way he's called me to live. And I remove myself from that way. Guess what? I've removed myself from the power of God being unleashed in my life. It's good old-fashioned obedience. It's John 15. We did that. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Remain in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. You'll see Holy Spirit things happen. And then Jesus goes down a few more verses if you read it, and he goes, well, you know how you remain in me? You obey. And when I obey his word, when I obey his teaching, when I walk in faith to those things, I position myself where the power of God is working and moving. I always say it like this. Can I tell you something? If you and God find yourself in different places, who's in the wrong place? Peter and John, where were they? They were in the temple. They were being faithful. They were praying. And in that, 
God moved. Probably the most convicting one I saw this week when I studied again. It's number two, Peter and John were willing to be interrupted. They were willing to let God change their plans. They were willing to move when God called the audible. They were willing to allow themselves to be interrupted. Do you remember one of our big Holy Spirit lessons, like power and presence of God? Go to the next one for me. Is the Holy Spirit does whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants. You look and like the Holy Spirit is not predictable. He's up to things. He moves in different times and places and spaces. The Holy Spirit does whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants to do it. But, and we looked at that the first time. We said, hey, don't get so caught up on what God did that you miss what God's doing. Don't get so caught up on that one thing that happened that you miss the new thing that's happening. But this should also tell us if the Holy Spirit wants to do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants, am I willing to let Him? Like, how is your, this, is, this was terrible for me. How's your interruptibility? Henry Nouwen wrote, it was just like kicking me while I'm down. Henry Nouwen's this Christian writer and theologian, wrote this beautiful book, highly recommend it, called Return of the Prodigal Son. And it's got that beautiful Van Gogh painting on it with the sun diving back into the, oh, it's cool. Uh, but Nouwen was this theologian, writer, thinker, a Christian pastor, got super popular, and he didn't like what the fame was doing to him. So he walked away from everything and became the chaplain of a nursing home or care facility for, for people who are severely mentally handicapped. So he became the pastor to several hundred people with severe mental disabilities. And, and he wrote this thing that I came across this week. He goes, I've always been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted. Then I realized the interruptions were my work. The unpleasant things, the hard moments, the unexpected setbacks carry more potential than we usually realize. Can I tell you something? Firstborn, type A, ENTJ Myers-Briggs, number three Enneagram, this killed me this week. Because it's a reminder that getting things done is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Crossing off to-do list items is not a gospel value. Progress is not a gospel value. Getting things from here to there is not a gospel value. Profit margins are not gospel values. But being willing to be interrupted by the Holy Spirit when He has something He's calling me to do is in fact a gospel value. If He wants to interrupt you, are you willing to be interrupted? Peter and John were attentive to the needs of others. One of the cool things we've been seeing, one of the things I learned about this book for the first time studying it with you guys is this cool thing where we see G, uh, Peter, he had spent a ton of time with Jesus and then Jesus leaves and ascends into heaven and then Peter starts doing Jesus things in Jesus' absence. 
Jesus was always quoting these Old Testament scriptures and talking about how they were pointing to this moment in time. And then Peter starts quoting Old Testament scriptures and pointing to this moment in time. Last week, when, when Peter healed this man, he reached down and he touched the man and helped him up. And we saw two different instances in Jesus's ministry where he was reaching down and helping people up. Peter was doing Jesus things when Peter and John are going to the temple on this day they were walking attentive to the needs of others can I tell you something they weren't just going to prayer at the temple they were going to be leading prayer at the temple in your notes if you're a note-taker I'd love for you to write down this just simple Luke 19 where did they learn to be so attentive to the needs of others? Luke 19 is Jesus, and he's at an all-time high in his popularity, and the crowds are surging around him. Jesus is trending in Israel, okay? He's got things going on. It's not Jesus and 12 people walking around. It's Jesus and a couple hundred people surrounding him. When Jesus was coming to a town, you could see when he was coming, there would be dust in the air and a large crowd that you could hear well before they ever showed up or got near you. And in Luke 19, they're passing through Jericho of all places. And people in Jericho can look over the hill and see the Jesus Jesus posse coming and it says that they were passing through Jericho they weren't stopping in Jericho they had other places to be and as they get to the gates of Jericho they walk through them and and they see what's going on and and people are coming and there's those long Palestinian streets with the quay buildings on each side and people are waving at Jesus from the buildings and the kids who know the little alleys of the town are running up and at Jesus and then going to the next one and at Jesus and they're walking and they're carrying on and then Jesus is right through the middle of Jericho sees something he hasn't seen before he sees a man that has climbed a tree because he's hoping to get a look at Jesus through the crowd and Jesus has the wherewithal to see that there must have been some sort of emotional pain that drove that man up that tree on that day because men don't climb trees in that day and he approaches Verse 5, Luke 19, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And what happens next is a beautiful story of transformation, of life change, and salvation happening. Why? Because Jesus was attentive to the needs of people around him. Can I tell you something? Something powerful happens in your life when you lift up your eyes from self and start paying attention to the needs around you. I I don't tell stories of my personal big God moments a lot because I don't want to tell something and it's like, well, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor. I think God gave you a little extra in your life and that's why things like that happen. And so I only tell a story about something God did in my life if I believe it's something that God could do in everybody's life. And so my sophomore year, I'll tell you this time, uh, my sophomore year of college, I've had this weird conviction, like a very, very random set of circumstances. I was a sophomore in college and I had only been on like one mission trip before in my life and all of a sudden I felt this powerful 
pull to lead a mission trip for some friends of mine. And it was a powerful pull to not just lead a mission trip, but there is a pastor and church planter in Trinidad and Tobago. His name was Sadant Kumar Yogi. He was from India and a church planter who wanted to reach Indian people in Trinidad and Tobago because there's tons of them there. And I'm telling you, it was so random. And I got this calling, this feeling inside of me, just like, I think I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to lead a group of people that's supposed to meet Sadant Kumar Yogi and help him with whatever he needs in his church planting. We ended up going on the trip, but that's not the cool part. Uh, there's me and, and your boy Tony Collins right there in the middle, uh, sophomore year of college. And, and we made it to Trinidad, but the crazy thing was how we made it there. So at that time in my life, uh, my home church had had a college ministry startup and somebody asked me to lead they asked if I would lead uh, a small group. So my buddy and I led a small group of college guys. Come on, it's just pizza, bros, Jesus, prayer requests. You know, I would drive there on Tuesdays. I'd go to the group. We'd hang out. We'd do the Bible study, bro out, pray together, call it a night, go home. That was how I served that college ministry. And so on that particular Tuesday, this church plant thing came in and it's like is this just me like wanting to do the christian version of mtv spring break like is this just me just wanting to have some fun in a different country is this just me like leveraging missions because i've always wanted to lead something and be in charge and so i was on on my way to the school cafeteria and i just said what i've told you guys to pray god i'm gonna i'm gonna like i think you're in this but if you're not take it from me i don't need this i don't have to go I don't want to go, but I'm a knucklehead and I'm going to need you to show me, show me, God, if this is what you're calling me to do. And so I pray that on my walk to lunch, have lunch, nothing happens, no voice from the sky, no earthquake, no wind, no fire, no nothing. Okay. I just eat lunch and go work out. And so then I go to the college group that evening and do the average college group. There's a couple new guys and hanging out, spending time talking the whole thing. And we make it through the whole night. Nothing happens. I'm like, that's fine. I didn't need anything to happen. Like, Maybe God's telling me no. And we get to prayer requests. And I, I open up and I share my prayer requests. And I say, guys, I got this weird thing. I don't know if it's God or it's just wanting me to do this thing that I have always wanted to do. I just need some help. I, <laughs> this sounds embarrassing. I'm supposed to go to Trinidad and help Sadant Kumar Yogi with his church planting in Trinidad and Tobago. And one guy who is at the group for the very first time in his entire life said, you're supposed to go where? I said, Trinidad, I don't know. And he goes, you're not going to believe this. But my parents run a nonprofit that helps people lead mission trips when they've never leaded mission trips before. I said, oh, that's cool. Thank you. You know, like, I'd rather, yeah, cool. He goes, no, 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 no. Here's the crazy thing. The country they specialize in is Trinidad and Tobago. Then I got, I got the chills right now. It was crazy. And he goes, he didn't know about who I was supposed to help. He goes, we actually had a missionary staying at our house last week. His name's Sadant Kumar Yogi, and he's a church planter in Trinidad and Tobago. And I was like, yes, Lord. And I've thought about, because can I tell you something? God doesn't always do that with me. Like most of the time, I'm just feeling my way. Like, I, I don't know. He spoke so clear. And it was so undeniable. I can't make it up. 
And I've reflected on that from time to time. And, and I've gone like, why'd you do that? Like, what was going on? And the only thing, the only thing I can track it back to is I was so entirely focused on helping others. And all I can tell you based on my experience is if you want more God in your life, you got to look outside your life. You want to see God move. It doesn't happen when your head's down and you're focused on your life and your future and your goals and your savings and if you're going to make it and how it's going to go and who you're going to meet and if they saw you and did you get recognized and how'd it go for you. That is not where the manifest presence of God exists. It exists when we lift up our eyes and live a purpose for other people in the name of Jesus Christ around us. That's it. And I'll share this because we have this costume Sunday coming up, but, but I don't know if you've seen, but American well-being is not going great. If you can't read it, I'll read it to you. Only a third of the Americans in this country are getting enough sleep or sleeping well. 46% of Americans will experience mental health issues. 35% of Americans report that they're chronically lonely. 189 million households are carrying over $8,000 in credit card debt and stress is the lead factor in 75% of visits to primary care physicians. Can I tell you something? Yes, we could talk about diet. We could talk about social media. We could talk about all these very functional trends that are leading to these things, but we also must talk about how our people around us, how our culture has lost their way from God. And they're waiting for people who are going to reach out. They're waiting for somebody to walk across the room, to be kind, to listen, to show them there's a different way to live. They're waiting out there right now, wondering if anybody cares. Which is why one of the papers on your seat today is a simple handout card. I want to challenge you when you leave today to take this card with you. It says, Holy Spirit, show me who to help today. Show me how to help today. I'm here with what I've been given. Show me who to help today. Show me how to help today. I'm here with what I've been given. Do you know what this card does? You put that in the, you put that in the, the dashboard of your car right there in front of the dials that you don't read and the check engine light that's been blinking for two months. You know what it does? It lifts up your eyes. You put this on your desk in your office. You put this on the mirror in the morning while you're getting ready. And it reminds you that you're here for a purpose. It reminds you that there's people out there who might be waiting for your kindness, for your invite, for you to hand them one of those kids' costume cards and say, hey, your kids might like this and you can sit with me. I've watched lives change because of those handout cards and simple people who are willing to just look at the needs in the world 
around them. There's one more good one and we'll end on that, okay? Peter and John were willing to give what they had. Did you catch verse 6? It says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have. And all the college kids said, Amen. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. They were willing to give what they had. And this is one of the great paradoxes in the kingdom of God. Because sometimes we sit and go, I want to be used by God. I want cool God stuff. If God would just give me this, then I could do tons of stuff for everybody. If I only had blank, or if God would fix blank, then oh my gosh, I would get out there and I would help people and I'd be a blessing. I'd make the world better and brighter. In Jesus' name, I just need Him to give me this. But the great paradox in the kingdom of God is God has a long track record of using what he has already given you and who he has already made you to be to transform the world around you. Too many Christians end up sitting and waiting and hoping that things would be different or if they had more and God's going, I'm sitting and waiting and hoping that you see what I've already given you. Do you remember when God and Moses met on that mountain with that bush that was burning? Hey, Moses, I'm sending you to help. you got to go help. Can you go help these people? I've called you. I've set it up. It's for you. This calling has your name on it. No one else can fill it. Moses is like, who am I? How can I do it? And God's like, don't worry. I'll be with you. And he's like, but I stink. I'm no good at this. If I could just talk better, then I could go. Do you remember what God says to Moses in chapter 4? Do you remember the question that he asked Moses? In chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they don't believe me? Or listen to me. And they say, The Lord didn't appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. Then Moses has a one-of-a-kind encounter in the next verses. It says, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. I'm watching that on DVR when I get to heaven. And then Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake. He ran for it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake by the tail and it turned his staff back into his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that you, they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob has appeared to you. The lesson for us is that God will often use that which He has already given you to change the world through you. Moses had the staff when he walked onto that mountain that day. But from that day forward, if you read the rest of Exodus, from that day forward, it isn't called Moses' staff, it's called the staff of God. And it's that staff that Moses would use to turn the Nile to blood and that staff that would go in the ground before the Red Sea parts and that staff that would bring forth water to hydrate all of Israel. And God uses that which He has already given Moses for, as a tool of great love and salvation. My friends, what's in your hand? Because I'm guessing it's more than you realize. I'm guessing at least somebody in here has been like, I would do more God stuff. I could do more God stuff. I'm just missing blank. And God's telling you at the same exact time, you don't need that. If you did, I would have already given it to you. 
The crazy beautiful stuff happens in the kingdom of God when we quit wishing we are more than we are and we just go in what we've been given. Uh, band, you guys come on up. We'll do one more song. Do you remember Gideon? Like if you kept reading past there and you got to Judges and there's this judge named Gideon in your Bible and, and, and Israel has been taken over and impressed and stamped down by this rivaling nation and Gideon is hiding in a wine press. He's ducking, he's tucked tail, he's just riding out the storm and the Lord says, he shows up and he goes, hey, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, I'm not a mighty warrior. And, and God says, no, 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 no. You're going to go in the strength you have. The lesson for Gideon and for us to this day is God has already given you what you need to make a difference. The difference comes when you're willing to offer it to Him. Some of you are incredibly generous people and God's calling you forward in your generosity to give and, and to buy meals and to do sweet things with the resources you've been given. And he's already given you what you need to make a difference. Some of you are listeners and you have a kindness about you and the room's different when you're in the room and he's calling you into rooms so you can listen and you can love and you can be in the ear that people so desperately need. Some of you encourage and you say words and they stick to hearts and write futures. And he's calling you to be more of that in the world around you. Some of you bake, some of you cook, some of you are just really, really, really fun to hang out with. Some of you are organized, you're less fun to hang out with, but there's stuff that needs organized out there and if you don't organize it, who's gonna do it? I am passionately convinced as an average guy pulled out of an average city in an average town that God sees more in you than you could ever imagine. And if you're willing to offer that to him, you'll see more God than you could ever imagine. That's how we see him. That's how he moves. Would you guys stand with me for one last song? God and Father, I pray in real and beautiful ways you would be revealing yourself to us for those of us here who feel like something's missing or we're not enough, I just pray that you would be at work reminding us of who we are in your eyes. God, for those of us here who are new to the God life and helping and loving and serving, I, I pray that in ways we can understand, you would just be calling us to take those little steps that are in front of us. That ultimately, Father, that even in this space, right here, right now, as we sing to you, you would be filling us up with what we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.